0: Um, I started recording.
1: New COVID cases, number of lives lost to the reporters in the room. Thank you
0: to everybody who is helping. Okay. You and I are essential to each, each other. I'm Maureen Sebastian. And I'm Risa Sarakin. And you're listening to Gulp Podcast. Oh.
1: Boys and girls, your attention, please. Presenting a new exciting radio program featuring the thrilling adventures of an amazing and incredible personality. Faster than an airplane,
2: more powerful... The truth is, I've always kind of thought I was Superman anyway. Or some form of superhero, you know. It's a
1: bird, it's a plane, it's
0: Superman! Dylan Hales, with his chiseled physique and rugged Australian accent, is exactly what Hollywood imagines a superhero to be.
2: My week is 8 to 10 gym sessions a week, and I'm aware there's only 7 days a week. Because yes, yeah, so there's some days, effectively, I, I will always, I will not always, but I usually take one day off a week, just because it's kind of wise. Um, but a lot of my days will involve two workouts a day.
1: He is a seemingly invincible 36-year-old self-made restaurateur with a resting heart rate of 52.
2: Uh, cycling between 100 and 150 miles a week, typically. It's all that stuff. I'm that guy, you know.
1: It is almost unfathomable to believe someone like Dylan fell ill to COVID-19, a disease many of us have misunderstood to only affect the elderly or those with pre-existing
0: conditions. Dr. Deborah Burks, a top official in the White House Coronavirus Task Force, mid-March. There are concerning reports coming out of France and Italy about some young people getting seriously ill and very seriously ill in the ICUs. The millennial generation, our largest generation, our future generation um, that will carry us through for the next multiple decades, there may be a disproportional number of infections among that group. And so even if it's a rare occurrence, it may be seen more frequently in that group and be evident now.
2: I'm a very, very stubborn person in terms of uh you know staying active and saying staying strong and still going no matter what's happening to me whether it's physically or emotionally or when i'm injured or anything like that probably probably what a lot of my friends would tell you um to my own fault you know i don't get knocked down like that where i literally you know can't really do anything to help myself so that was definitely a humbling um i mean it's not gonna make me slow down but it was definitely a humbling experience for sure
0: Today's story is about the supermans, the wonder women, the Dr. Manhattans, the invincible ones, or at least the ones who think they're invincible. It's about the ones who realize they're more vulnerable than they ever imagined and better for it. Can you talk us through what happened to you when you obviously first realized you kind of had it and then like the process of getting tested and trying to get better?
2: Friday the 13th we operated that weekend things were people were spooked before then anyway like in the in the in the two weeks leading up to that morally we decided just based on again the safety of our staff and our customers we decided to close down on Sunday the 15th of March. And then, actually, just by coincidence, Monday morning, um, Governor Cuomo, uh, for you know, put in put in order the mandatory shutdown anyway. So we were twenty four hours ahead of him, basically. I'm pretty sure that uh, myself, my partner Ronnie Flynn, and a few other people that we know all got sick around the same time. So I think that we contracted it. All of us contracted it most likely on Friday the 13th of March, which is a bit spooky since that's meant to be a naughty day anyway. Um, (laughs) And uh, by about that Monday or Tuesday, like the 15th, 16th of March, I just started to get this really strange feeling in my throat. Um, And I don't really know how to describe it, just something that I hadn't really felt before, like just a very dry, like scratchy kind of feeling. It didn't feel like a regular cold. Um, So I got a little bit concerned um, then after a day or two, that it was that it was kind of lingering, and then after that, it really, you know, it really started to hit me pretty heavily. I never really got. Um, I lost. I lost. I don't know why they don't advertise this as much, but you know, losing losing the the um, your sense of smell and taste seems to be like a very common factor. Um, you know, even if you still Google coronavirus uh, symptoms now, it still doesn't say that, which I think is a bit silly, but maybe there's a reason mm-hmm. for it. But so I started to lose my sense of taste and smell. Um, I never really had a bad cough at all. I only had a fever for um, 48 hours, which is not a long time for this virus or any virus, in fact. Um, and uh, I did have, I did have you know, pretty extreme fatigue for quite a while, uh, you know, for 10 days, roughly. Mm-hmm um but the big you know the biggest thing that i had which was which was very threatening to my health um and you know well frankly basically the next step for me was to be in the hospital on a ventilator because that the virus got right down deep into my lungs and i just couldn't get a proper breath for the life of me so and that went on and i did a variety of things to try to to try to cure that um but that went on for again, like probably ten to twelve days, maybe even a little bit longer. It's all starting. I mean, every day is starting to blur. The, right now, you know, so it's it's hard to say exactly, but sure. between ten and fourteen days, um, of like extreme shortness of breath, um, constantly having like a block sort of throat, like a clogged feeling in my throat, um, and then of course, of course, it becomes very hard to stay calm and and you know not panic when you can't breathe because that's literally. What makes people panic is not being able to breathe or the or the thought that they can't breathe. Mm. So that was a really challenging period. And basically, you know, I had my phone in my hand. Every day for that time, I had my phone in my hand, you know, with 9-1 already dialed, ready to press the other one and, and get an ambulance.
0: Can you um, describe, if possible, like what that fatigue and what that shortness of breath feels like? Because I feel like often the symptoms are misdiagnosed as – feelings of, like, the flu. And, I mean, I feel like all of us have had the flu. And being young and healthy, personally, like, I've never thought of the flu as something difficult to go through. For sure. Um, and obviously, what you went through sounds far more severe. And what all of these people are going through is obviously so much more severe. So is there is there any more you could tell us about, like, what that really felt like
2: sure I mean it's it, it definitely for well, for starters whether it was like paranoia or anything else psychosomatic I'm not really sure but for starters I knew as soon as I was getting those symptoms I didn't have anything regular I just knew it was the was the virus it just felt different mm-hmm. but you know to give you an example of that like the, the fatigue that I'm talking about is um you know, like getting up to go from my bed to the kitchen, which is about twenty steps, um, to get a glass of water. By the time I got to the fridge, I'd be—I was effectively like out of energy and kind of panting for oxygen, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, wow,
0: wow,
2: that's kind yeah. of—that's probably the best example that I that I would have. And you know, in terms of the shortness of breath, it just—you know—it it almost felt like. Um, you know in the you know in the cartoons when like someone when like the cartoon character gets like shot or they get puncture holes in them and then all the, and then they drink something and all the liquid comes out all the different holes you know mm-hmm. that's what it felt like with me but with the air I'm like I felt like I was getting or breathing in like and I was doing breathing techniques and stuff like that as well and meditation and things like you I would be breathing in all this oxygen and it like just wasn't going down to my lungs like it was going mm. like it was going somewhere else like out of my ears or god knows where you know mm. So that's kind of, I think that's probably the best way that I could describe the way that it felt.
1: Dylan, were there any uh, specific measures that you took to alleviate these symptoms? Um, And I'm, I'm talking about things you did physically and also just how you dealt with it mentally that helped you get through it.
2: In terms of meditation, I was doing, uh, I was doing like anxiety reducing and then a sleep meditation effectively like a sleep-based one at night. Um, And that was quite helpful, but I did a variety of other things as well. I was like, I was making boiling hot baths every day and putting in Epsom salt and eucalyptus. So I was making, I was drinking about 500 milliliters a day of chicken feet bone broth. Uh, I was cooking for myself and I was effectively just eating loads and loads of buckets worth of chicken and vegetable soup basically. (laughs) besides electrolyte tablets that I was you know you know shotting with water I was making um, I was drinking between two and a half and three liters a day of basically boiling hot water with uh, garlic cloves ginger turmeric uh, and honey that and then I had the breathing exercise that I did is quite a renowned one that has been circulated um, around the world I think via YouTube. And it's from uh, the Queen's Hospital in London, so that's the one that I was doing multiple times a day as well. The two things that did really help me was that I had a I had a an asthma inhaler, even though I'm not asthmatic. I had an asthma inhaler and I had a nebulizer. And I think, in terms of everything else, I think that just all the little things that I did helped me really in the end.
0: Did your doctor prescribe the nebulizer yes, and the inhaler? Yes, he did. Yes, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: I think it was probably about. Monday the 23rd I think that I started really wanting to get tested because I was really concerned about my condition frankly so I wanted to get tested so the first thing I did was I very very calmly and very slowly rode my bike to the nearest hospital um, because you know I couldn't get in an uber in that that wouldn't be fair to get an uber um, or I didn't want to get on the train obviously either so I very slowly and calmly rode to um, the nearest hospital to me, which is about a, a one and a half miles away, you know, 15 minutes roughly on the bike. Um, and I entered the hospital and I basically got the run around by a bunch of people who didn't really know what they were talking about, frankly. Um, and I was told that the only way that I could get any kind of medical treatment for the COVID-19 or the suspected COVID-19 was to re-enter through the emergency ward basically as an emergency patient. And the mm. thought had crossed my mind, but frankly, I didn't want to do that. And the only real reason why is because, um, you know, I think we all know even even now, but especially back then, they they had more than they could deal with already on their plate. And I didn't want to add to that. Um, so I was trying to be quite selfless by not re-entering as an emergency patient. But so I left that, I left the hospital quite pissed off actually because they were, yeah, the people where they weren't, and again, I felt bad because they were obviously just doing, you know, the best job they could do under really crappy circumstances. But um, yeah. so I called. My next thing to do was to call the Department of Health. The Department of Health told me there was no way to get a test, and the best thing I should do um, is is to <laughs> the best thing I could do is to drink lots of water, rest, take vitamins, um, wow. take fever reducing medicine, and if it gets too bad that you can't handle it, call nine one one. So that's, all, oh that's what I was told by the Department of Health. Um, and then I scoured the internet. again, now it's a little bit easy to find, but back then it wasn't quite so easy. I scoured the internet for probably a couple of hours trying to find information about testing sites, how to get how to get appointments, all, you know all this different stuff. And finally I found this this like random lo- I think it was like a local article for like a some small township in New York. It wasn't like The Times or anything like that. I found this article and it had at the bottom, it had like this coronavirus hotline phone number, which again, you could probably find that anywhere now. Um, So I called them and that was actually quite simple. The lady was super nice. She took my details and told me, asked me a couple of questions. You know, when did I start, when did I start getting the symptoms, so on and so forth, Um, date of birth, address, things like that, contact information. And then told me that somebody would call back, uh, call me back within 24 hours to make an actual appointment. Someone actually called me like two hours later, which was cool, um, mm. and then gave me the options for the testing sites. Now the testing sites, and this, this, this again. I mean, I'm I'm not a public official or a city planner or anything like that, but you know, my opinion that the testing sites were very unrealistic for most people in New York. So, I mean, the closest one for me ended up being in Staten Island. So, and remember, wow. it's a drive. It's a drive through as well. So, effectively, you have to have. Your own car. I don't think an Uber is going to be too excited about about going through a coronavirus drive through test testing site. So you know, we had to get right. we had to get a car. So we borrowed we borrowed a friend of ours car, and Ronnie and I actually drove out there together. Effectively, he was really driving me because I wasn't feeling well. We got out to Staten Island. Um, that facility was kind. of – It kind of looked like well, it looked exactly like a movie. What was that movie with Morgan Freeman in like the nineties when there was a big. Yeah, I think it was called outbreak. Actually,
0: <laughs> it was outbreak. Yeah,
2: I think it really was. Yeah, it's like the testing site looked like that. It was really well run, but it was run. It was, it was run by the National Guard, so it was you know men, men and women in in armor uniforms, no guns, um, thankfully, right. and uh, and then every all the men, anybody who was assisting in any way on the medical side, were all in full, complete hazmat hazmat suits, like they look like astronauts going to the moon. Um, so we went through that and it was very uh and it was very efficient. Um you know they took they take a very, very deep nasal and um oral swab. Mine was so deep I nearly fucking threw up, basically. It like they, they put it right down Ugh. they put it right down your throat. Um yeah. and then from there basically they just tell you to get on your way and that the health, the Department of Health will get in touch with you in two to three days to give you your results. So eight days go past. I still hadn't heard anything back from anybody so i went on my second wild goose chase trying to um find out how to actually get my results so i called back up the coronavirus hotline they as part of their voice prompts when you first call they say to you if you're calling about your results please hang up and don't stay on the phone basically but i stayed on the phone anyway um and i spoke to the person again all these people were super nice actually they all were very very nice and caring i spoke to the a, a guy a young guy and i said listen i haven't got my results back yet so i know that it says not to wait online and speak to you but i want to talk to you about it anyway because i want to make sure maybe my test results were lost or and you got or you guys didn't have my correct contact information or something you know and so yeah. he actually put me in touch with um, a private laboratory, because the laboratories are the ones that are doing all the, all the um, analysis anyway. So he put me in touch with a laboratory. I called them; they gave me an online portal to log in to check my results. The portal didn't work. Called them back again, and then spoke to an operator. And then she said, "Yep, I've got your results right here." And two minutes later, she emailed them to emailed them to me. Positive. Yeah, that was it.
1: And what did you take away from that experience?
2: You know, I think obviously it's very important to learn from any situation that comes your way that was unexpected, especially ones that, you know, affect you negatively or drastically. Um, And uh, if I could take anything out of this, well, first of all, I'm going to be doing the best I can to donate whatever plasma I can to help, you know, the critically ill patients. Um, And, you know, secondly, any kind of awareness to help people realise, you know, what can really happen to you. Um, and you know how bad that it can potentially be, and just just in the in the hope and thought that people will just take it um, seriously and just at, at least li- at least at least live with relative caution, especially as um, you know towns and cities and countries start to reopen a little bit as well. I think there's going to be a lot of caution that still needs to be taken then. Um, you know, to avoid a to avoid another huge spike in illness, really. Something else, you know, that I'm actually still sort of dealing with a little bit now is that is the like the mental backlash from having the mental backlash for being um, for having that particular symptom. Forget about everything else. Having the particular symptom of shortness of breath, not being able to breathe. You know, feeling like your throat, feeling like you're effectively like you've got something stuck in your throat and you can't get oxygen to your lungs basically that feeling has a lot of a lot of after effects to it as well because that feeling like we mentioned before is literally the it's the trigger for anxiety and panic so now and you know I, I, i'm i'm not like super bad but now i'm still dealing with the feeling of Oh, am I having shortness of breath, or am I, st- or am I now having, am I now getting like these subconscious feelings from what I went through that just makes me think I am, um, and then I am starting to have an el- like an elevated level of panic, you know. So yeah. that's been quite challenging to deal with as well. You know, anxiety and panic is from a trigger. It could be, it could be a feeling or a smell or a person or anything. It could be a street sign, like you know, anxiety and panic have a trigger to them in your brain and obviously that one being the most serious one there is, it comes it, it it's it's come with repercussions for me for sure. So I'm still trying to fight my way through that right now.
0: What's been at the forefront of your mind during your recovery?
2: A co- you know a combination of being sick and just all the obvious restrictions and 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 just how strange everything is right now in general, you know? <laughs> yeah. In terms of like, you know, everything shut down Everywhere you go there's everyone standing six feet apart. People are wearing masks and gloves, and I see this guy in the park who's basically like dressed like he's like going into a gas chamber or something like that he's where he yeah. wears this like helmet and goggles and this this mask thing over his mouth like and he's not joking he's being deadly serious, so I see him walking in the park in the mornings um so I think that you know a combination of being that sick and then just seeing how much seeing how like on the drop of a dime the world can change um i think maybe just just i think just and it might be a bit cliche but just an overall appreciation of um life and health and um the desire to connect with people more and to make more effort with that um and to get out there and do you know some of the things that We all have a million things that we say we're going to do or that we want to do. We don't get around to doing because life distracts us, or and work distracts us, or you know, and whatever it might be. But I think it just gives. I think it just gives like a renewed um, desire to really fulfil a lot of those things for me.
0: Mm.
2: And certainly, certainly, the first thing will be to go to the beach somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know where. I'm getting in some. I'm getting in some body of water sometime soon. I can, well, a body of water that's not the bath, I should say, yeah. yeah. Sometime soon. Stand back now, Lara. I'm going to throw the switch. Jurel! it's getting dark. I can't see.
0: Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Superman's litany of superpowers aren't what make him a superhero. What makes him a superhero is that even though he is indestructible, he knows he isn't invincible.
1: None of us are. But oftentimes, we have to go on some death-defying trek to get that knowledge.
0: When life grinds us down to the point where we are unrecognizable, especially to ourselves, that's when we're most fertile for growth that well-worn hero's journey.
1: Where we had thought to travel outward, we shall come to the center of our own existence. Where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world.
0: Joseph Campbell, the hero with a thousand faces.
1: Thanks for listening. Stay well. Does it reach the earth? Does it find its mark in all the far-flung darkness of space? Don't miss the next installment of...
0: You've just listened to Gulp Podcast, edited by Dan Crowley. If you know someone or are someone whose story needs to be heard, please let us know at contact at gulppodcast.com. To find links to articles, foundations, or charities referenced in this episode, or to find out more about us, please go to www.gulppodcast.com.